0: The gospel for today comes from Luke, the 12th chapter. Jesus said, Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven, and where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And finds them so, blessed are those slaves. But know this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Listen to what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Grace to you and peace from God, our Creator, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The first railroad across the Alps was the Summering. In 1842, the Austrian Empire hired Karl von Gege, an engineer with mountain road building experience, to build this railroad. The reason for wanting and needing to build it was twofold. First, the Austrian Empire wanted to connect the imperial capital of Vienna with the empire's only seaport, Trieste, now in Italy, in order to facilitate and increase trade as their economy had been declining for years. Second, because of the deco- uh, declining economy, it was a way to create jobs for thousands of people. So this was a risk that the government was willing and needing to take. Now this task of building a railroad over the Alps was no easy feat, as you might imagine. Although Summering Pass was actually the lowest of the Alpine crossings and so remained open longer than others in the winter, the pass still rose more than 3,000 feet above sea level. And building a railroad across the range required extraordinary ingenuity and innovation. As the crow flies, Vienna and Trieste are only 13 miles apart but the railroad had to cover twice that distance with its curves and switchbacks because the track running across needed to include curved viaducts that arched their way over broad valleys before entering long tunnels. In all, the route required 14 tunnels, the largest of which was 4,600 feet, 16 viaducts, several with two levels, and more than 100 curved stone bridges. Now remember, this was before any modern machinery. The workforce, which was made up of Germans, Czechs and Italians, as well as Austrians, was enormous, 20,000 people at its peak. It was a dangerous task. 700 people died in the building of it. And it took 15 years to complete. Now here's the kicker, this train track which ended up costing four times the amount originally estimated, was built before there was a train that could cross it. The ascent still rose by grades of up to 1 in 40, that's about 2.5%, and the curves were too sharp for many trains to handle. So Carl von Gega also had to engineer the train that would cross the track that he was trying to figure out how to build. Poor guy. But he did it, and the first passenger train to travel part of the track did so in 1853, and the track was finally completed in 1857. Many leaders and peoples of all different various backgrounds put a lot of visioning, work, and yes, faith, into this project with the hopes that it would benefit the countries and the economy in the long run. And in the end, taking the risk paid off. The railroad proved its worth as a vital trade link for the Austrian Empire, and the railroad still exists today. You can actually ride on the train if you wanted to. Wouldn't it be nice if all of our plans and work went that way and paid off like that? Of course, not all plans do. There are many stories throughout history where plans also involving millions of dollars did not pan out. But there are many stories and examples throughout history where taking a risk and having hope paid off as well. The Panama Canal, or more recently, as I was mentioning to the kids, the James Webb Telescope that revealed amazing images in just the very first picture it took, already helping us to better understand both our world and the universe in which we live. And so it's worth it to make plans for the future to dream big dreams and take risks and have hope that in what could be, even if it's seemingly impossible at the moment. That's what having faith is all about. And that's exactly what God reassured Abram of in our Old Testament reading for today. Just to give you a little refresher of the larger story, God had called Abram when he was 75 years old and his wife Sarai, which they guesstimate was 65 years old at that time. And God told them that they would be blessed, that God would build a great nation from them, and that they would be a blessing to others. This was an especially wonderful vision for Abram and Sarah because Sarai was barren, and so she had no children. And in addition to the fact that both Abram and Sarai wanted children, this also meant that there was no one to inherit and carry on Abram's line. Perhaps Abram didn't want to be forgotten which I think is an underlying fear that all humans have. So Abram took the opportunity God gave him with the hope that he might have a child and that his family line would continue. Another risk and choice that paid off big time, as we know. Even people who don't regularly attend church and aren't Christians have heard of Abraham most of the time. Though, like building a railway across the Alps, this was no easy feat. Abram and Sarah were called to leave their home and go to a foreign land. Abram and Sarah and Abram's nephew Lot faced many difficult situations, such as famine and traveling through lands that were unsafe for those who did not believe in the Egyptian gods. But they had hope in this vision and took the risk. By the time we get to our scripture for today, Abram was around 100 years old, and Sarai was at least 90. And they still did not have a child through Sarai, as God had promised. How many of you in this room are over the age of 80? Can I get a show of hands? Who's over the age of 80? Can you imagine God coming to you and saying, guess what, you're going to have a baby. I think at that point in time, that would be more of a curse than a blessing. (laughs) I'm 38 and I'm already done, (laughs) just so you know. Granted, people lived longer back then, but still. So I totally understand Abraham's frustration, fear, and doubt right now. Will God really live up to God's promises? Abram has taken a big risk and has been through many trials with an unknown future. Will it all pay off in the end? Again, here... Looking at what God does not say is just as important as what God does say. God does not say, how dare you question me? How dare you doubt me and my promises? That's because doubting is a part of life. And it's normal, okay, and even healthy to doubt and question things. I've heard too many Christians say that so-and-so wasn't healed because their faith wasn't strong enough. Or your prayers weren't answered because you've not been faithful to God. Or worse yet, this or that natural disaster or disease was God's punishment because we were, not sin- we were too sinful and not righteous enough. No, this is not at all true. Everyone in the Bible doubted. Show me one person that did not Even Jesus doubted. Think about Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. I read this as Jesus saying, are you really sure that it has to happen this way? Isn't there any other way we could do this? I guess I'll just keep trusting that you know what you're doing and hoping everything will work out in the end. Doubting is very healthy and a normal part of life. Doubting is what helps us to think through complicated situations. It helps us to recognize inconsistencies in what we hear or experience and what we've been told or taught. In fact, I think it's a necessary tool for learning, and it's certainly not a sin or a way to test faithfulness and righteousness. By the way, the word for righteousness in the Old Testament, as it's found in our story for today, doesn't mean pure or holy or even faithful, which is what most people think about and associate this word with. Righteousness in the Old Testament is synonymous with justice, truth, ethics, and reflecting God. So Abraham trusted that God would be just and fair and that God was willing to tell the truth, and God was telling the truth. And instead of scolding Abram for doubting, God gave him a vision to help him keep hoping in the promises of God for the future. He said, look at the stars. That's how numerous your descendants will be. Don't give up hoping, Abram. And whenever you start to lose hope, look at the stars and remember my promise that I am with you. So if faith is not righteousness and it's not not doubting, Then, what is faith? Fortunately, the author of Hebrews helps us out with this one today. It says Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Put more simply, faith is believing that things can change, believing that something can happen even if it seems impossible. Just as so many people believed that a railroad across the Alps could be built and that one day there would be a train that could cross it. Faith is having a vision and a dream and following it for as long as you can. Faith is hoping for a better future, a better world, and then investing in that dream with all of your heart, soul, body, and mind. This is what Jesus talks about in our gospel for today as well. To give you a little context here, Jesus has been talking about faith and telling his disciples not to worry. Now like doubting, I think it's impossible to not worry. I've been told by many that I always find something to worry about because if I don't, I'll stop breathing. Thanks a lot. But again, you've got to ask the why behind what Jesus is saying here. The reason Jesus is saying this to his disciples and others is because Jesus either suspects or knows that persecution will come. He knows that he and his disciples are working against those in power to reverse the status quo with the hope that the poor and the needy will be treated better and that all would have the same opportunities and be taken care of and that there would be peace. So what Jesus is actually saying here is, don't worry or be afraid that what we are trying to do is a dangerous and seemingly impossible feat. Just keep taking steps toward that vision of the world that I and my Father are trying to build with you. That vision of the kingdom of God. As Jesus says in our gospel for today, do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus also says, Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will fasten his belt and have them sit down to eat, and he will come to serve them. Now while this might not sound like much to us, and even might sound strange to us, Jesus is actually saying two really radical things here. First, do you recall another time in the Old Testament where God's people were asked to be dressed and ready to go at the drop of a hat? The night of the Passover, right? When the 10th plague of Egypt was about to happen, God not only protected the firstborn children of Israel by having them put blood on their doorposts, but the entire Passover meal was made to be made quickly so that the Israelites were ready to leave at the drop of a hat once Pharaoh let them go. God knew that the people would be freed the next day. So God had them prepare for what God knew would happen, even though Israel had been enslaved for years. And the people were probably doubting that all of this would work since the last nine flags didn't seem to do anything to sway the Pharaoh. But it did happen, and God's people were freed. This is the image God is recalling and what Jewish people would have heard by using this language of be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. The kingdom of God is imminent. And second, in this new kingdom of God, there will be a great role reversal. Slaves and masters will be equal, and God will serve them. This is a unique image of God. There were no other gods that came down to serve those who were serving. This is the same vision that we still work towards today as God's people, equality and justice for all. And some of this has happened and continues to happen today. We just don't hear about it very often because what news anchor or journalist wants to go to a town and report there have been no disasters here today, nothing strange or severely bad is going on and people appear to be very happy. I've never heard that on the news. I don't know about you. So we often forget about those things that we have to celebrate. Both women and people of color have the right to vote, and many can get good jobs. The persistent work of black people and their allies throughout history, as well as the recent Black Lives Matter movement, have made strides toward justice and equality, even though there is still not total equality and still a lot of work to be done. There are programs to help feed and house people in need, to help children and youth in need, for people to care for the sick, and for folks to help animals and the environment. And though what we have today is still inefficient to help everyone in every part of the world, it has helped tremendously in working towards this goal of equality and equal opportunity. This past week, as I mentioned, our eighth and ninth graders did some amazing kingdom work as they served and are donated to many of these programs. They helped to package 2,750 pounds of food at the Food Lifeline in South Seattle to be sent out to local food banks. They partnered with the Garden Fellowship Group to work on a project. They hosted a barbecue and games with Salt House for the women and children of New Bethlehem and Sophia Way. They made tie blankets and collected pet food for the Seattle Humane Society. And as you know, they made blessing bags to give to a variety of nonprofits and individuals in need, including friends of youth who help and support youth in need. It is because of these many good things that I have seen and experienced happening around the world that I truly believe the kingdom of God is at hand, that God is working through people to help create change for the better. That is the reminder I'm given every time I look at the stars, and that is the vision and hope that I hold on to as a Christian, the hope that even though the kingdom of God is not yet complete, even though there are still many problems and injustices in the world, and Jesus has not yet returned as he promised, one day, somehow, the track will be finished. Somehow, a train will be able to make the journey And we will be able to ride that train across the kingdom of God to freedom and all will be truly free and connected to one another in love. Amen.